Hello. Yellow. What's happened? Oh, this is a different sound altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like we're underwater. Yeah, it's all right. Um, The important thing is we're here. And yes, sir. The unfortunate part is I closed out. I was like, well, maybe Audacity's having a problem. So I closed out of it without saving. So we're going to start all over from the beginning. Uh, but I'm not going to do a 10 minute podcast show introduction uh, since this is, well, we can mention those at the end of the show when we talk about podcasts. And, uh, and we'll just jump into it. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. All right. The show begins in three, two, one. Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the show as uh, we're going to talk about some podcasts. Hopefully you uh, got online earlier this week, went to CornNation.com, and looked at the uh, post that was started and kind of initiated by a good friend of the show and Coronation contributor Patrick Gerhardt about Coronation's top five podcasts. We will. Uh, I, I didn't. I, I wanted to contribute to that, but it was also late Tuesday night, and I was trying to finish up another podcast and get that all ready to go, so I didn't. But this is a podcast, and I can give you another little top five list, and Haas can give you a few of his as well because he's joining me. Haas, good talking to you again, buddy. Glad to be here, and always good talking to you as well, Greg. And I know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, football fans of all ages, you're probably wondering, Hoss sounds a little different this week. What's going on? Uh, of course, we usually Skype the show. Uh, Skype requires two good internet connections uh, on both sides of the conversation, and we just couldn't make that happen for some reason this week, so... Uh, maybe it's because it's 11 o'clock on a Friday night and everybody is probably at their homes Netflixing and chilling to each their own. That's fine. Um, hey. I, play on, player. Yeah, right? You know, I, I'm, I, hey, don't hate the play, hate the game, baby, or whatever they say. I don't know. Um, I didn't watch Netflix tonight. I haven't watched a whole lot of Netflix. Not to say I haven't watched TV I have, just hadn't really been a whole lot of Netflix lately. A lot of Hulu, some Amazon uh, cartoons with my son. But tonight, Haas, tonight I did something that I've wanted to do since December. And that was watch Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Hadn't seen it yet. Ah. Which, you know, I have a podcast called Nerds United, which inherently means I should have seen this movie four months ago, and I didn't. Um... This is not the, the, the podcast for a review about uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. I will say this. I enjoyed it. I laughed out loud several times, and, and uh, there were occasions where I was leaning forward uh, with um, uh, intense, uh, what was the word, uh, emotional investment. So um, 
anyway, this is not a, a Star Wars or nerds or pop culture uh, uh, podcast. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. This is about uh, Husker athletics, and everybody seemed to enjoy our uh, Husker football conversation last week, Hoss, and who would have thought that Nebraska fans would enjoy football conversation? Uh, I, 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 too, was dumbfounded by that uh, uh, revelation. So let's keep it going. Last week we talked about uh, the offensive line uh, and uh, very much the center position uh, in you know what uh, the talent that Nebraska has. This week we're going to keep the conversation on that side of the football, but we're going to open it up to a more um, more broad, more general view of things, and we're going to talk about the offense uh, as a whole. And I think I'd be remiss. I, this is not the question that I I want to you know lead off the conversation with, but I don't really know where what a good jumping off point would be. So I'm just going to come right out, blurt it out right out uh, of the gate here. At the quarterback position for 2018, who do you see stepping into that uh, starting role? That uh, of course, you know, there's no Tanner Lee there. Uh, so, who do you see stepping in? You know, looking at your crystal ball, who's who's going to be that opening day starter? Well, originally when Frost first got hired, I thought that it'd be Tristan Tristan Gebbia just because of the fact that he reminded me of his body type and the way he plays from the spring game last year. Reminds me a lot of Mackenzie Milton, although he may not have Milton's top-end speed. But after kind of reading some things for spring ball and, you know, really thinking about it, because when if I have a spare moment, I'm usually doodling up some plays or thinking of football, among other things, you know, as I've known to do and. Uh, I think it'll probably be Patrick O'Brien. Uh, he he ran a similar offense in high school in San Juan, California. He rushed for 700 yards as a quarterback his senior year of high school, in addition to being a very uh, proficient passer. And with his build at 6'4", 230, 235 pounds, he's a guy that's going to be able to, you know, make the you know complete passes in Frost offense. You know that spread kind of air raid. You know kind of pro-style spread passing game, in addition to being able on to pick up, you know, 7 to 15 yards on quarterback runs or scrambles, zone reads, option plays. So I think it's probably O'Brien. Um, Martinez, Adrian Martinez, he's still recovering a little bit from that torn labrum in his shoulder. And I just think it may be, unless he's just the real deal, maybe a little bit of a tall order for him to step in and start from day one as a freshman. Um, maybe a guy like Andrew Bunch, a walk-on who transferred to Nebraska last year from junior college. Maybe, you know, he's impressed a little bit in practice from what I've heard. And he could be a guy that can pick up those yards in the quarterback run game in addition to being a decent, good passer. So I, I, I tend towards O'Brien. I think that, uh, I think he's probably what, what we're looking for, at least as a stopgap measure. Until we either develop a guy on the roster like Gabier or Martinez, or until maybe Frost goes out and signs a really big name, can't miss quarterback in the next class, you know, for 2019. So likely it'll be O'Brien. It, the, the, I, I want to go back it, just a, a moment ago, what you said about the ability to pick up those, you know, seven to 15 yards 
uh, you know, on, on a quarterback, you know, keeper or, you know, quarterback scramble. Uh, we didn't realize, at, at least, you know, looking back in hindsight. Oh, that's my dog coming over here and shaking. Thanks. Thanks, Coco. We're, we're trying to record, <laughs> but that's okay. You, you do you. Um, I don't think we, I don't know, fully appreciated. And I, I don't want to say that because, you know, what, when, when you look at what Taylor Martinez did, uh, you know, with his feet, as far as be, being able to get out and, and run with the ball, uh, Tommy Armstrong uh, as well. I don't think maybe we had a full appreciation of that until we didn't have that last year. We didn't have a quarterback in, in the backfield. We had a more pure pocket passer who was not going to go out and and get you, you know, oh, all, everybody's covered downfield. Um, there's a little alleyway. I'm going to go upfield for five, six, seven yards. We didn't have that in Tanner Lee. And that, I think, really affected the Huskers, you know, overall and, and their ability to be effective on offense. I agree 100%. And before last season, I stated many times in the articles on coordination that I would do about how I was excited to have a passer that could drop back and complete balls downfield and back linebackers off the running game. But one of the things is that I kind of lost sight of the fact of, or lost sight of the dimension that guys like Martinez and Armstrong brought to the table of being able to pick up yards with their legs. And um, I mean, in 2015, Tommy made Danny Langsdorf look like a really damn good spread offensive coordinator even with the offensive woes that we had at time, bad offensive line, anemic running game, Tommy bailed us out, you know, in that Wisconsin game in Lincoln in 2015, he picked up a lot of yards on quarterback counter plays and scrambling out of the pocket and hitting Alonzo Moore for a touchdown on a deep fade route, buying himself some time. And the mobile quarterback is just a great equalizer in football because it forces the defense to defend an extra blocker and an extra gap, and you're playing 11-on-11 football when you have a mobile quarterback as opposed to playing 10-on-11 football when you got a quarterback who's just dropping back and trying to fit the ball into windows downfield. There were a lot of moments with Tanner Lee last year, and, I mean, I'm a pretty staunch defender of Tanner Lee. I thought that he did the best that he could with what he had to work with, all things considered. But um, I, I really think that there were moments that it's like, man, if we had a guy who could get out and run a little bit, you know, buy, extend some plays, buy some time, get guys open downfield, especially guys like Stan and JD, that we'd be in a better spot. And especially in the red zone where everything's so compressed and you don't have a lot of vertical space to work with, and you got to start stretching the defense horizontally. Having a mobile quarterback just changes things. And you'll see that a lot in Frost's offense with when they when UCF would get into the red zone, Frost almost, I mean, you could set your watch to it. It was just as dependable as having to take a dump after having your morning coffee that (laughs) he would dial up a triple option play out of a split backfield. I mean, he did it against USF, Memphis, and Auburn to close out the year and did a lot against Auburn, or Auburn, I repeat myself there, Maryland on September 23rd with Mackenzie Milton and just having that dynamic, it just keeps defensive coordinators up at night. And when, while we recruit well at Nebraska, we recruit well enough at a level to be nationally relevant. 
we're always going to have some recruiting shortcomings. We're at an inherent disadvantage in recruiting. You do have to have a mobile quarterback to even up those odds. And I, it's no coincidence that Tom Osborne switched to having a mobile quarterback in the late 70s after watching you know, OU pick up crucial third downs with an option quarterback, Thomas Lott, J.C. Watts, uh, Danny Bradley, guys like that. So to have that really adds an extra dimension that, like I said, it's going to keep defensive coordinators up at night. I want to go back to what you said uh, towards the beginning there about your excitement, your initial excitement about Tanner Lee and, and some of the stuff that you were writing up for coordination in the uh, offseason leading up to his, uh, you know, really his one year uh, playing at Nebraska and and how you were, I don't know, you know, excited, enthusiastic, you know, you were you were excited to see, you know, the, the pocket passer, you know, stand in the pocket and pick off, you know, you know, make the throws downfield, make the plays downfield to, uh, you know, keep the linebackers off. And, and every, every you know, the, the passing game uh, benefits the running game, et cetera. Unfortunately, we just didn't see that in, with Tanner. And part, mm-hmm. of that, part of that was because, you know, sometimes it was difficult for his, uh, you know, jersey to stay clean and other times he was just didn't have the I don't want to say we were sold you know a a false bill of goods because looking at his numbers from Tulane they weren't excellent and you know I think part of the Tanner Lee thing is part of the Mike Riley thing well get him in a better place get him with better talent around him and and you'll see that and and uh uh you know, one kind of lived and died with the other, so to speak. And I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. bagging on both guys. I obviously wanted them both to succeed, and and uh, you know, I don't hold any ill will or anything like that. But you know, Riley kind of hitched his wagon to Tanner Lee, and and uh, just like you know, I played Oregon Trail back on the Mac Macintosh computer, you know, in the '80s. Man, I, I could not ford the river, and and, and neither could Riley. Yeah. And that that was a that was a problem, especially with losing that quarterback running game dynamic that Tommy brought to the table. And the really the other thing too was not having an offensive. Yeah, I, I need to backtrack here and really kind of qualify what I'm about to say. Our pass protection was not very good in 15 and 16, but the sacks that we allowed were really low compared to the rest of the country. I think in 2015, we were ninth in the country in sacks given up, meaning that we gave up the ninth fewest sacks in the country. And when you look at that on paper, when you just look at the stats, you're thinking, all right, pass protection is pretty good. But when you actually get into the qualitative analysis of film rather than the quantitative, just with the stats, you realize, well, yeah, the sacks were so low because we had a guy like Tommy being able to buy time being able to get out of the pocket when pressure, you know, gets through when our pass protection schemes break down. And with Lee, it was a different story. There were times that he was just getting lit up uh, in the pocket. Guys were in the backfield as he was still trying to complete his initial drop from under center. And that was and not having a good running game really made matters worse because teams were just able to have their DNs pin their ears back and get up field on us without fear of the run game. So that 
I, I mean, I kind of feel like a fool in retrospect looking at it and just kind of going, oh, yeah, we have this guy. He's going to drop dimes. He's going to hit receivers in the stride. He's going to fit the ball <laughs> under real small windows the size of a donut hole. And that was not the case because we didn't have the supporting cast around him. If we would have had an offensive line that could stand in there and protect, if we would have had a running game that we could rely on, Lee would have looked a lot better. But at the end of the day, we didn't have that. And that goes to show you that if you're going to be at a place where you can recruit well, but you're still going to have those inherent disadvantages in recruiting, you're not going to get every guy at the top of your recruiting board, that you got to have something, an ace in the hole in your back pocket, to even things up, and that's the mobile quarterback. And you don't want – now, when I say that, you don't want a guy like Eric Crouch or Jamal Lord who are going to carry the ball 25 to 35 times a game. Uh, you know, Crouch in 01, he was our offense. Lord in 02 was our offense. I mean, against Texas in 02, Lord had 34 carries for 230-some-odd yards. And it was a magnificent performance. It's one of the best single-game performances by a Husker I've ever seen to this day. But you don't want your quarterback being the main ball carrier in an offense. At the end of the day, a quarterback is nothing more than a point guard, a distributor. He gets the ball out. He makes good decisions. He doesn't doesn't kill you. And one of the biggest things that I like about Frost's offense, while it is a spread offense of the mobile quarterback, he's not going to put the ball in the quarterback's hands 30 times a game to carry the football. He's going to have the quarterback get the ball to the running back with an option to read the defensive end on the zone read. He's going to run some speed option and some dive option. But he's really just going to look for the quarterback to get the ball out on the perimeter, to get the ball out in space, out to the speed in space with the backs and the slot receivers who are going to motion into the backfield, motion back out. And, you know, they're going to throw screens. They're going to read defenders on RPOs. So, really, you're just looking for a guy who makes quick decisions and who has quick feet. And and we we have to even qualify that a little bit. Quick decision is one thing. Smart decision is is a completely, you know, it's a whole new ball of wax. Um, by the exactly. way. Exactly. And, that, and, that, and that's why... That's why Tommy Armstrong would not fit well into Frost's offense. Because while Tommy had the quick feet, while Tommy made the quick decisions, especially on those alert fade routes that he, the Tommy bombs that he liked to throw, mm-hmm. they weren't the right ones. And you just, you just gotta have, you gotta be able to mentally process what's going on at a very fast rate in Frost's offense. You gotta read the flats, you gotta read the alley defenders, DNs. Uh, a weak side linebacker or a boundary nickelback, and you just got to get the ball out, and you've got to go to the right place. Because at the end of the day, you, you don't always get the big game, but the the cardinal rule is don't make a decision that's going to shoot yourself in the foot. And uh, by the way, since you uh, name-dropped there, shout-out to Jamal Lord, who uh, followed the Five Heart Podcast Twitter account last week. And you can, too, at... Uh, at the number five heart podcast. And you can be right up there with one of these great Huskers that we've uh, been talking about here uh, on this week's episode. So remember at the number five heart podcast, follow us and follow Jamal Lord. Um, 1,462 yards rushing in 2002. 
Lord, Lord was an animal. That that is asking an awful lot. Totally underrated and totally underappreciated. And and speaking of underappreciated, um, I, I I was I think Tommy Armstrong's in that category. Um, Yeah, he did kind of you know rewrite the record books uh, for you know total passing yards things like that because the game evolved from you know where you know and, and Eric Crouch obviously or you know Scott Frost may have uh, had the opportunity or the, maybe the ability to to put up uh, the, the number of yards that's not the scheme that was you know being played at that time uh, so I don't know you know I, I hope history changes but I, I still think that the wounds are too fresh I think a lot of Husker you know fans say that Tommy Armstrong was a good player but and and obviously the Huskers didn't win you know championships conference championships division championships anything like that with him at the helm but I think to you know the dude was a gamer we know that uh played with you know played with five heart by god and uh um I don't know I just I just hope that in time you know Husker fans who maybe see Tommy and his stint at Nebraska as a failure kind of kind of soften their tone a little bit because I think I think uh, I think in time our memories will will be kind to Tommy and I, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. Well, you know, you mentioned that and I agree with you because when you look back on 15 and 16 with the issues that we had offensively Tommy was our best weapon that we had. And while I ripped my hair out at some of the decisions that he made, um, especially that one against Miami first, you know, first drive in overtime, I think it was the first play in overtime, the interception in the end zone. He was our best shot to win. He, he, he really was. And I'll never doubt him as a competitor and as a warrior. And I, yeah, I think kind of similar to Lord, I think history will be kinder to Tommy Armstrong. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but Tommy Armstrong, for much of his time in Nebraska, had uh, a roommate who was a wide receiver. What was hey, going on? Hey, they're roommates, you know. Yeah, uh, that's just, I don't know why that cracks oh, me up. That, that got old. It was, it, it was, it was, it was. Good knowledge, you know, good little trivia the first time we heard it. And after the third time we heard it, it's like, oh, there's a, a Armstrong to Westerkamp. Hey, did you know the roommate? And it just became, I almost think that the announcers made it like a running joke. Like, I, I think it was part of Kevin Kugler's, like, either contract with the Big Ten Network, either that or Aaron Sorensen got in his ear and said, hey, you, I, I challenge you. You know, it's like the what's uh, the craziest things that you can say on the air. How do, you don't have to like curse or anything, but how many times can you say Armstrong and Westerkamp are roommates this season? I bet you can do it twice a game. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was fun. Um, speaking of Kevin Kugler, uh, I I uh, do not dislike his work. Uh, I'm a fan. Uh, he's doing the stuff that you know when I got into broadcasting school is stuff that I wanted to do. Um, not on television, as my dad always said. I had a face for radio. Thanks, Dad. Um, but I heard an update from, well, it's on this, uh, 
the same ESPN station here in in St. Louis, uh, or yeah, radio station that I talk about from time to time. I had an update from the Masters, and it was Kevin Kugler's voice. Um, so I was like, "Oh, that's that's Kevin Kugler. That's awesome." And then I got to thinking, you know what's worse than watching golf on TV? Listening to it on the radio. And I don't mind golf. I enjoy going golfing with either my dad or my friends and having some beers and getting my money's worth because I, I take the scenic route when I play golf. Um, I just don't want to hear it on the radio. So uh, I digress. Let's let's move back. Let's, let's get back on track here. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, Scott Frost offense and how uh, you know someone like Tommy Armstrong may not be the best fit. Obviously, that's not even – you know, it's not a question. Uh, and going right back to my initial question, uh, which was who do you think is going to be uh, or or should be the starter based on what we've seen and know so far, and you think it's P.O.B., let's talk a little bit about that Scott Frost offense. Um, and, and I say a little bit because it's 1130 on a Friday night, and, you know, we don't want to be here till 2. We've got a lot of – we got a long off season. We can we – can, uh, uh, you know, pick it apart piece by piece as we go. But let's talk a little bit about that Scott Frost offense um, because, you know, the the story goes, we've seen it written about time and time again. We've talked about it. Uh, we've seen it, articles on coordination about it. Uh, the guy has been around the block and learned from some of the best. And in doing so, he has kind of taken his favorite parts of, of you know, various coaches, be it Parcells, Belichick, uh, you know, Chip Kelly, so on and so forth. And he's put together something that works. It worked to the tune of a 13-0 and season at UCF uh, last year, taking a team two year, that two years prior was winless, 0-12, and then they're undefeated national champs, uh, knocking off the only team that beat the two teams that played in the quote-unquote national championship game in, in uh, Alabama and Georgia. There's something to be said about that. I mean, the, the guy is a, a winner. He's a gamer. What? I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, I'm curious, and we've got time. Who cares if we're here till two? Uh, what specifically has Scott Frost picked up? You know, from various coaches over you know twenty or so years. No, maybe not quite twenty years. Fifteen or so years that makes his offense work. Well, the biggest thing is that he picked, he calls plays in a sequential manner, sequences them based off what the defense does to defend the base play of his offense in a, in the same manner that Tom Osborne called plays in the constraint theory. If then, if they do this, then we're going to do this. And the former UCLA and Alabama offensive coordinator, Homer Smith, who's actually from Omaha, by the way, he's, he wrote the book on clock management football. Literally, there's a book that he wrote on Amazon, Homer Smith's Guide to Clock Management. <laughs> um, he said, you know, the thing about Tom Osborne's offense, and he said this in the late 80s and early 90s when people decried T.O. for being, you know, just a smash-mouth conservative coach, was that, Tio's offense, he ran every option play known to man, you know, belly option, wall option, dive option, arc, sprint. And he did that based off what the defense was doing. So he played a medley of tunes 
for lack of a better term, with his option plays. And that was all based off of defensive reaction. And Frost does the same thing, albeit in a different format from the spread. The philosophy is the same. The concept is different. But um, Frost, you know, he looks to take advantage of how, how wide you set your defensive ends. He looks to take advantage of if you have your force players, your linebackers usually, on the line of scrimmage or at the, you know, set deeper back, five yards back from the line of scrimmage. He looks at how the safeties rotate against motion or how the safeties play certain run plays fitting against the run after, you know, looking if it's a pass. And so that's really where he excels is that he it's prescriptive. He looks at what the, it's like a doctor. Doctor looks at a patient and sees what's wrong with them. And he just, the doctor will decide what to do. He'll, you know, come up with a treatment plan. If this is what's going on, then we're going to do this. And Frost does the same thing with his offense. If the defense is doing this, then we're going to do this. We're going to exploit what the defense, we're going to exploit the defense's weakness. Like they're, they're trying to, for instance, the defense is trying to protect against the outside run. So they're going to set their force players hard against the run to the outside. Well, we're going to get a pulling guard or an H back or somebody. And we're going to block that, kick that force player out towards the sideline. We're going to block him out and we're going to run right inside them. Or you have, for instance, against Wisconsin, what they'll do against a running game or what they do against anyone's running game is they're going to have their force players, their outside linebackers usually, step down when they read that a puller is coming towards them, and they're going to wrong arm the puller. They're going to rip through the puller's chest plate with their outside shoulder. Well, if they're doing that, well, we're just going to cross the thing, and we're just going to hook block, and we're going to get outside of them and just outflank the defense. And so that that's really where the philosophy is rooted in is they're just frost is going to look at what they're doing and how we can exploit it. And that's a lot, you know, everyone wants to talk about, well, you don't take what the defense gives you. You take what you want. Well, you got two, two forces going against each other. You got, you know, you got strength production against strength resistance. That's all that football comes down to offensive offense versus defense. So, you gotta you gotta find their weak point, and he does that with really just some base concepts that he's gonna present to the defense in a bunch of different ways from a bunch of different formations or personnel groupings, and it just becomes the point where it's simple for our guys on offense to learn and execute, but it looks like just the most complicated, convoluted mess for the defense to diagnose and figure out how to defend. And that's really where it, it, it's lethal simplicity. That That's where the whole root of the offense lies. Yeah, you summed it up right there because as you were explaining and, and, you know, using the doctor analogy, I got to thinking this, there's a very simple way to explain this. And not that you were overcomplicating it. Cause like I said, I followed along and if I can follow along, anybody can, but yeah, it's, it's treating the symptom, you know? Uh, and, exactly. and, and that's, that's all it is. And, and it's, 
I'm not. I'm not bagging. This is not a, an attack on on previous regimes or anything like that. But it's you know why don't more coaches do that? You know, uh, and and obviously there's probably I'm sure the defensive side, which I'm sure we'll see with uh, uh, you know Chenander, and and that's you know well the the defense has to you know modify some things and 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 uh, adapt and change things up as well. But but all, all while you were you know explaining kind of that generalization. Uh, of, of the Scott Frost offense and, and what he's, you know, how, how he, you know, goes about his, his philosophy. All I could think of was his opening uh, press conference to the Nebraska media, you know, last fall mm-hmm. when they said, yep. you know, how, how are you going to, uh, you know, adapt your, your style to the Big Ten? And he says, well, uh, they're going to have to adapt to us. You know, that's that's what I heard you know, and that's—it's a different. I—I I, I do think it's a different. You know, it—it—it it, it, it shouldn't be. What? what is, how? How do I want to say it? It shouldn't be so uncommon as it is. You know, you would think that it's like okay, well, you know, we're. Are are is? Hmm. I'm going to rewind. The question I want to ask you is: Is, is there just like a? a group of coaches who are like this is how we're going to do it it might may look overcomplicated. this is just how we're going to do it that, that's completely different from the scott frost approach and i mean yeah okay that's what i was trying yep. to get to there, yeah sorry sorry to cut you off there but that's something that i'm actually really uh i get pretty you know worked up about with coaching in general is so many people just want to say, oh, well, the hell with what they're doing. We're going to do what we want to do, son. You know, and then they spit to the spittoon sitting over in the corner and they hike up their bike brand coaching shorts and, you know, <laughs> they, you know, pull up their socks to their knees and they think it's 1979 still. Well, football, the, the best way I've ever heard described, football described is it's a simple game that's all about blocking and tackling made complicated by dumb coaches. And that's that's really one of the truest things I've ever heard. I've never heard and that, but I, I I don't argue that point at all. I really don't. You get, guy, you get guys who just want to sit at the chalkboard or the whiteboard and they just want to draw up stuff and they want to have all these different rules and they want to talk about, you know, what they're going to do, what they're going to do. Well, if what you want to do is not what the defense is presenting, then what's the point? If you have a defensive end who's not playing wide and he's stepping down against the line of scrimmage and squeezing the play or wrong-arming the play, but you want to try to kick him out to the sideline and your pulling guard isn't just more talented or stronger to kick him out, then why are you calling that play? You you just you gotta take what you have to you have to take what the defense is giving you, but you have to do it in such a manner that your physicality, your talent, your coaching, your athlete, all those things is gonna do it in such a physical manner that the defense is just absolutely punished. So you you gotta be that's why, you know, for instance with offensive football especially it's a thinking man's game. That's kind of why offensive coordinators are always kind of, for lack of a better term, typecasted as kind of the 
professorial types. They're like college professors constantly analyzing and looking at things. They're just, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's going to work. And you, you have to, you, and that's one of the things that Frost really excelled at is that he gathers the Intel in real time during a game. He looks at what the defense is doing when he calls a play. They did this. Okay, well, if they did that, we're going to mark that down. We're going to have a GA or an intern or the OC or a position coach or whoever mark that down. We're going to come back to it later when we line up in that same formation and we call that same play. We're not going to call it the very next play, but we're going to come back to it down the road. It's kind of like how T.O. was always two to three steps ahead of everybody because he was always looking at what the defense was doing and how he could adjust to what they were doing to take advantage of it. And one of the things that Frost really excels at is that you'll notice on the opening play of a series or opening play of a game, he's going to run a play that has maybe a couple of shifts or a motion, something to get the defense misaligned. Like they're going to line up, they're going to motion or shift a few people and force the defense to realign. And they're going to look for where that weakness is in the defensive structure and how the the defense aligns. And that comes from just watching film. And so on that first play, when you're taking advantage of how the defense aligns by presenting something that they haven't seen before, you're just stealing cheap yards at that point. It's like, in 95 against Colorado and Boulder, Osborne came out in a formation that we hadn't shown on film before ever. It was a power eye backfield with three running backs and two wide receivers. And we ran a dive option that we ran probably a hundred times that season. But the difference was the formation was different. Colorado didn't know how to react to it or line up to it. And Almond Green goes 57 yards for a touchdown the first play of the game. And so that just comes from being prepared. It's it, it's really like being in school and studying for a test. You study it so much that when you get to the test, there's no surprises. You're you're the one who's dictating the terms sure. to the test. The test is not dictating the terms to you. And that's one of the things where I think a lot of coaches get so wrapped up in just thinking that they're going to be able to take whatever you're know, they're going to be able to take whatever they want from the defense and they're going to dictate every term and they're just going to be able to do whatever they want when in reality it's kind of a it's kind of like a marble cake where the layers all swirl together it's what you want to do and what the defense does and they all swirl together and you're going to find a way to really combat what the defense is going to do with presenting them with something that while they, the concept is the same, the presentation of it is different. It's kind of an abstract um, way to describe it, but that, that's the best I got, you know, close to, what, 11.45 on Friday night? <laughs> I, I do have a question about, you know, coaches who make changes. I'm going to go back a few years to a name that we don't really talk about too favorably uh, in in you know Husker fan circles, and that's Tim Beck. It seemed like oh, I was blocked by him on Twitter. <laughs> I uh, yeah yeah. Well, um, that being what it is, um, 
it all it, not always uh, that that's too sweeping of a generalization but there were enough occasions where something would be going well for him and his play calling and his offensive game plan in the first half and then out of the locker room without you know and I, i'm 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 quite the novice so maybe you saw something i didn't but it just seemed like he would do a complete 180 from what was working and like change it up for no reason. Again, that's a previous You're, regime. We're, we're, we want to we want to talk about the positives. We want to talk about you know the good things that Scott Frost is going to do. But that that's always just kind of been a uh, a bothersome note to me. So I don't know if you can no, shine any light on it or. You're spot on. You you are spot on. It's funny that you mentioned that because I actually thought of this earlier today when I was at work and. Even though I'm at work, my mind's still on football. Because, well, <laughs> folks, that's what I want to do for a living. And um, get this I, man I was a job. Thinking get... of that, and of all things, it was in 2014. We started the season against Florida Atlantic, and Amir Abdullah ran for I think it was 200. It was 229 yards against Florida Atlantic in and the first we, quarter. We 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 hit them with just some really well-designed and well-executed run plays out of the spread. We were running some bash sweep uh, with a quarterback counter going the other direction for Tommy. You know, if Tommy decided to keep, he'd run the quarterback counter behind a pulling guard and a pulling tackle. If he gave it to Amir, Amir would run around the edge, kind of like a naked bootleg for the quarterback. And we gashed Florida Atlantic with it. And it was a play that it was well-designed, it was well-executed, it was something that should have been our bread and butter every game. It should have been something that going into every game, regardless of what the defense did, we'd look at what they did. We would adjust that play, but it would always be there. The following week against McNeese State in that just ridiculous game where it took a third and or fourth down pass to Amir Gula to pull sure. it out. We all remember We it. didn't call we didn't call that play a single time. And that's actually what got me blocked by Tim back on Twitter because I just went on a freaking tirade about you don't you don't call that you don't call bash court Q counter so a week later after gaining however many yards on it in the season opener and then it makes an appearance again against Miami a few weeks later and we made a bunch of hay off of it but we didn't see it against McNeese State, and hell, we almost lost that game. But that's one of the things where, you know, Tim Beck, it was so infuriating to watch his offenses because I loved the concepts that he had in the offense. They were well-designed, and you could tell that he, it was something that should have worked. It was, yeah, it, was in, it, it was an intelligent design. But the thing that drove me nuts was it would work in one game, but the next game wouldn't make an appearance. It would work in the first half, and then the second half wouldn't make an appearance. Well, you can't just go away from it when you're making halftime adjustments because you think that they're going to adjust to something else that's going to stop it. You find a way to counter their counter. And it's just, it's like boxing punch, counter punch, punch, counter punch. And you always got something to answer what they're going to do. And isn't it a little presumptive 
to think that they're going to, in presumptive on the negative side, well, they're probably going to find a way to stop us on this, so we're not going to. Why, why wouldn't you yep. run it? Why wouldn't you run it until they stop it? Exactly, exactly. You make those kind of presumptions and, well, assumptions, and you know what they say about assumptions? You make an ass out of you and me. Hey, whoa, and whoa, hey, that, hey, whoa. Not, not you, Greg, not you. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to do what we do. They're going to do something that they think is going to stop it. Well, we're going to have an adjustment sure. to their adjustment. So we can keep doing what we excel at. And that's really with college football getting to the point where practice time is so limited and you know, you're not dealing with NFL players who do this for a living and can sit in the film room for eight hours a day. You have to have an economy of concepts where you pick a few select things that you're going to get really, really good at to the point where it's just second nature players can go out there and execute it without even thinking about it. And that's, and that's what you do. And that that's what Osborne did. And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, he made the option at Nebraska, the, the success that it was, because it was, it, it, again, it's not the most glamorous, you know, play or, or, or bunch of plays, but it, it I, I, I gotta, I gotta bring that quote up from last week. Give it like Novocaine. Give it time; it always works. I mean, he mm-hmm. he, he. It was something that Nebraska, Nebraska's offense ran it so well that even when the defense knew it was coming, they couldn't stop it. And and that's that's exactly you know the point that that you're hammering home is with the limited practice times, you have got to pick you know what your specialty is going to be and. Does, you know, figure it out, perfect it, and make it unstoppable. And I think that's, regardless of what that identity is, I mean, th- that specific identity, be it option or spread or, or you know, the option out of the spread or whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're the smart one in the, in the duo here. Um, I, I, I rely more on emotion, and, and you have your emotion, but you also have the brains. But whatever you whatever one you pick that has to be your identity to the point where you become just like Nebraska, the nineties with the option, you become synonymous with this thing that works. And Nebraska hasn't had that since, you know, 99 probably. Yeah. And that's one of the things about Frost that in addition to him just being a fantastic, and I said this in the slack room referencing, our basketball situation, needing a boot and fist fundamentals ball coach. Frost is that boot and fist fundamentals ball coach. You're going to play fundamentals. You're going to, you're going to be good at what makes plays break for gains, converting first downs, scoring touchdowns. And he does it by just having, you know, a collection of concepts that he's going to rely on. And they're going to teach the players how to execute those concepts but the devil's in the details and it's going to be the details of those plays, how they're blocked, not, you know, the scheme, but the technique of it. And I mean, from my notes that I have here, I mean, he runs about eight core running plays and well, actually about 
three or four of them are core running plays and the rest are kind of ancillary runs. And, you know, he runs inside zone with inside zone read outside zone, power, power, read, some counter plays. He'll run some G lead pin and pull, you know, getting the ball out on the perimeter with a couple of pulling linemen, some dart, you know, for the tailback, you know, with a pulling tackle to kind of have a ISO look out of the spread and then he'll do that out of empty with five wide receivers for the quarterback and kind of a quarterback draw look. And then he'll run kind of some Auburn, Gus Melzahn, Buck Sweep with, you know, blocking the DN with an H back and pulling a couple of linemen around. But it's not the plays that make the offense go. It's how the fundamentals of how those plays are blocked that are drilled into the players, the offensive linemen and the tight ends and the H-backs and the receivers blocking on the perimeter that make it go to understand it's a game of angles and you got to get this guy blocked. You know, you got to target his outside shoulder. You got to target his inside shoulder. You got to get him turned away from the point of attack. And it's once you identify what it is that you want to do as an offense, you start teaching your players how to do it, how to go about it. And, that that's where this offense is really going to take off. And I'll even say it, it is a bold proclamation. And I've been on record in the slack room many times saying, I'll be the happiest man in the world. If we go seven and five this year with this schedule, but in 2019, I think we will have a top five scoring offense in the country. If not the number one ranked scoring offense in the country, just because I think that Scott Frost, I think he is the goods in terms of, football coaches i'm i'm really glad in in there when you're talking about uh you know the intricacies and and doing some of the minutia uh of of what makes the offense you know run successfully i'm really oh man hoss i'm so glad you didn't say we just have to execute the process god dang oh god i I can't i can't but so 2019 with with your bold proclamation on on the uh proliferance pro profi, pro the the goods the 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 goodness proliferation i don't know uh the the yeah, i don't know either. I, I don't know what word i was trying to uh hey if you're listening to this and you you know the word i was trying to say drop it in the comments cuz i'd like to know at me yeah at the hooch 36 um 2019, Nebraska competing for a Big Ten championship? Yeah. Yes, because we get Wisconsin, Iowa, and Northwestern all at home. We got to go to Boulder for the Colorado game. I need to look ahead to see what we got in terms of, well, I think we have Ohio State in Lincoln, actually. And I think we have Michigan and Lincoln, unless the Big Ten East Division scheduling for us West Division folks is all wonky still. Can can I just say uh, this? We've seen an awful lot of Ohio State. Yeah, and you know, quite frankly, frankly, I'm getting really sick and tired of it until we start beating them. And and it's not not so much even a, you know, I'm tired of the, you know, 62 to 3 losses, although I'm not a fan of them. Um, It's just... They're supposed to be seven teams over there, and it seems like we keep getting Ohio State. And even for the long, I mean, this is the first year in a couple of years where we've got Michigan and, and Michigan yeah. State, and first 
first year since 13 yeah. for Michigan. I mean, that's... Then we play, we play Penn State last year for the first time since 13, and then right. we don't get a return trip from them to Lincoln after yeah. going out to Happy Valley last year. And you know what? Excuse my language, folks, but it's a crock of shit. That that is. Hey, you know what? It's it's almost it's almost Saturday morning, Hoss. We gotta we gotta tone it down a little bit. All right, it's it's okay. Well, church mass ain't till Sunday. <laughs> um, let's let's get on to uh, the the second half. It's not even gonna be second half. The second portion of the show, and, and obviously, folks, don't worry. We're we're gonna have more offense to talk about. Uh, we're gonna see how this. Uh, group of wide receivers is going to fit in because they yep. are, are dynamic playmakers uh two words write that down uh dynamic playmakers and they're going to have some big seeds i don't think there's any doubt there shouldn't be any doubt in any husker fan's mind why you know the player of the caliber of stanley morgan came back to lincoln he saw he's like you know what damn this is going to be a good fall, and uh, and and that's why he's coming back to Lincoln. Uh, and, and anyway, you got J.D. Spielman, you've got uh, uh, Tyjon Lindsay. We we've got weapons to talk about. We're going to talk about them uh, down the road in in spring practice as, as that goes forward, and uh, in the off season, and of course the the running back situation, which is. Still very much, I think, up in the air. But then we got the whole defense, baby. We got the whole defensive side of the uh, ball to talk about. So don't worry. We, we've got you covered uh, also throughout the offseason. Haas and I, although this is the first time he's hearing about it, we're going to talk uh, about some uh, football movies. So be ready for Oh, that. hell yeah. We we should have done it as last long, year. As long, as long as you don't talk about all the right moves, that movie is terrible. I uh, owned that movie for a brief stint. Um, and all I can say, uh, about that is it was at the urging of, a of, a well, a lady that I was courting at the time. Um, and after that ended, I, I don't even think I sold it or anything. I think I just threw it away. And, and that movie is freaking terrible. I mean, just, it drives me up a And I love, I mean, obviously I love football. But my God, that movie! It, it's it's not. It's yeah. We 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 won't you know, be touching on that one. Don't worry. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll I'll save what I was gonna say next. Yeah, we're not, that's gonna be a dedicated episode. Oh oh crap! So now that, we are gonna talk about it. Yeah, that's like a that's like a July fourth, you know, Fourth of July weekend type episode for all the right moves. Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to go back and watch it just so I can bitch about it. I, we don't have to do that one. I've got plenty of other movies that I won't have to rent on Amazon Prime. Um, so it, we, we, we'll we'll get the batting order lined out as we go along. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, you know, dropped it in a couple of times. The the word podcast, which obviously uh, you're listening to one right now, uh, we appreciate it. And again, you can be like. Uh, our good friend and yours, Jamal Lord, and follow the show on Twitter at the number five heart podcast. Uh, like us on Facebook. This time it's all written out. The you got to write out the word five uh, heart podcast, or just search it in your little search bar in Facebook. It's it's the logo. It's the monkey throwing the bones. Um, but earlier this week on Coronation.com, Hoss uh, Patrick and some of the other 
contributors uh, threw together a little top five list of their own. Now we we're no stranger to top fives. We did we had some fun with top fives uh, a couple episodes back, uh, but they said their top five podcasts and uh, and be it sports or or otherwise. And I didn't get in on the show or, or on the post I wanted to. And I ran out of time Tuesday night, and so I said, "Hell, I've got a podcast. I'll just we can just run them down on the show." And so that's what we're going to do here in the last few minutes of this episode. If 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 that's all right with you, sir. Oh yeah. Now, do you have yours in any? I mean, do you have five? Do you do you have them in any particular order, or are you just hey, these are some podcasts I enjoy listening to. Uh, just kind of podcasts that I enjoy okay. listening to. Yeah, I don't really have a uh, top five rank. It's just kind of a random collection of no, podcasts. No, no, that's, so. that's perfectly fine. Mine, mine are also in no particular order. Um, I, I say that, but I'm, I'm going to save the ones that I have to listen to every week for the end, if that's any, if that makes it feel any better. Um, All right. I'm going to kick it off by mentioning the other fine podcasts here on the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. Uh, because this week, as it ends here on uh, April the 7th, is the first week since January, the end of January, that we had a full week of all the podcasts getting new content out there. And that's my fault uh, because I'm, I'm a slacker in the Nerds United uh, podcast, which is my comic books, movies, pop culture type of show. Uh, but Monday... We had a new episode from My One Two Three Cents, the podcast, which is uh, my buddy Kevin. It's a pro wrestling podcast, and uh, tonight, the seventh of April, there's a benefit show for in in, in his area of Southern Illinois for uh, the independent wrestling promotion and their uh, um, referee, their their senior referee, if you will, who's not an old guy. He's about my age, you know, 30, 35, something like that. Uh, but he has type 1 diabetes. He spent a little bit of time in the hospital, so they're having it, uh, a benefit show for him called This One's for Lane. Uh, good dude, good referee, you know, dad and all that other stuff. Um, just uh, been in the hospital and not been able to work as much, so uh, that's going to be a good show. And, and, and Kevin talks about that uh, with, uh, believe it or not, a WWE one-time performer by the name of Heath Hatton, he he was on a pay per view in Chicago a few years ago, uh, in a what what you and I refer to as a job match, um, and uh, so he he's got a little bit of that international exposure, uh, so uh, you can check that out, and uh, that's again my one two three cents a podcast. By the way, all these jittery monkey podcasts uh, with the the hard work and dedication of yours truly are available on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play. Podbean, and uh, our friend at Coronation, David McGee, told me about Overcast, so I've been checking that one out, but I listen to most of mine on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. Uh, so that's my one, two, three cents of podcast. This past Tuesday, Chad Smart at Positive Cynicism put out what is my favorite episode of the show to this point, and that's, I don't know, 35, 36, uh, 38 episodes. Uh, it's titled We Need More Neighbors Like Mr. Rogers, and it's about uh, television and society and kind of that chicken and the egg uh, scenario of, you know, which came first, or, or in this case, it's, you know, does television shape society or does society shape television? Uh, gave me a lot of, 
you know, stuff to think about as far as, you know, the, the type of television that I expose my two-year-old to. So I've been trying to be better about that, um, you know, limiting the violence and, and some of the sitcoms and things like that that are maybe not, you know, they're, they're primetime shows but maybe don't need to be on when, when the two-year-old's around. So uh, that is, I encourage anybody to listen to that one. Uh, great, great episode. And as I mentioned, I had new content this week on Nerd United. Uh, I talked with a couple of uh, buddies of mine from Stash Publishing and their anthology series, which is uh, available now on kickstarter.com. If you uh, go there and search Colossal Chaos, you can uh, support that campaign and, and get that book funded. It's uh, a lot of fun. It's, it's uh, all about you know giant monsters versus giant robots and and uh, and just good stuff. I you know just like a lot of people support independent music or independent wrestling. I like to support independent comics, so that's where I threw I, I threw a, a healthy healthy amount of money uh, at them earlier this week. So uh, is my way of giving back. So of course we have new episode here on, on uh, Five Heart Podcast once a week, give or take. So th- those are. That's what's going on in the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. Hoss, what what kind of uh, shows, what kind of podcasts uh, uh, decorate your your mobile device? Well, most of them are, well, obviously, anyone can guess it, football-related. They are? So, yeah, oh, yeah. Nothing like lifting weights while listening to a discussion about quarterback play <laughs> in the NFL playoffs. <laughs> no, nothing gets the blood flowing for some maxing out on squats like talking about the nfl playoffs but um the playoffs the kurt warner quarterback podcast with kurt warner and kevin harlem um if you if anyone wants to learn more about football especially from the quarterback's point of view i highly recommend that one um kurt warner does a great job discussing just the finer points of playing the position in the nfl and relates it with some stories, you know, from his playing days. And then also just, they kind of talk about the NFL in general. Uh, I, I also listen to an NFL scouting podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks from the NFL network called move the sticks. Hmm. And that one really is pretty informative. And they talk about just all sorts of different positions and evaluating personnel and what the best fits for certain players are either the draft or in free agency and then really the only other one that i listen to on a regular basis is uh the jocko willink podcast he's a former navy seal served in bosnia and iraq um in the early 2000s and um just it's not so it's not a military podcast so much i mean he obviously mentioned references the military quite a bit so it's a specialty but it really just revolves around uh, a lot of how to live your life. Um, you know, discipline equals freedom. Just think simple things like if you get up earlier in the day to get stuff done, you got more time at the end of the day to do what you want to do. And it's just a lot of stuff that, uh, really it's just kind of an affirmation of it's stuff that, you know, you, you kind of inherently know, but you didn't know that you knew. So it really, um, drives it home and, you pick up a lot of points on, yeah, you know, I could do this better. Or I could do that better. And the Jocko Willing podcast also centers around a lot about lifting weights or, you know, working out and talking about uh, training in jiu-jitsu, which I don't do, obviously. But um, nonetheless, it's it's really informative. 
talks a lot about military history as well. So those are the three that I listen to on a consistent basis. Um, other than that, I, I'm also one of those people and this is one of those things that it's kind of, it's kind of weird when I explain it. I'm not a psychology major. If I would have gone back to school sooner, I probably would consider being a psychiatrist for a living if I wasn't so hell-bent on coaching football for a living. But I'll also listen to clinical psychologists or clinical psychology lectures that are podcasted by uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson on uh, the iTunes podcast uh, app. And I mean, I love psychology, so it's just one of the things that's more of a hobby since, uh, well, frankly, I don't want to go to medical school after... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> going to completing an undergrad and graduate school at the age of, you know, well, I'm 27 now, so I'll be close to 30 when I graduate with my bachelor's. But it's interesting. It's not just kind of about the, it's not totally centered just on the academic side of psychology. It's more, um, for lack of a better term, life skills. But it's very interesting. And he's got, he authored a book that's for sale on Amazon, 12 Rules for Life, that, it's just really it's kind of the stuff that you already knew, but you didn't know that you knew. So those are things that I listen to, and especially with having a 40-minute commute into school every day, I've got to the point where music doesn't soothe that pain of sitting on traffic on I-80 or being behind somebody going 500 in the left lane. So I've decided to make the most of it and listen to podcasts and get get educated while I'm driving. And there's nothing wrong with that. As as, uh, most people know by now, I spend my day in a truck uh, five days a week. And most of those days I'm by by myself, uh, usually on a day that I'm riding with somebody or somebody's riding with me, don't tend to listen to podcasts uh, uh, just because when I listen to a podcast, I want to, you know, take in the information and I want to be able to hear it, you know, with as, as few distractions as possible. It's bad enough that I've got my you know gps going through my phone and it and interrupts you know from time to time saying turn here and your destination is mm-hmm. on your left you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um so when i ride with somebody you know usually like i said we're listening to that espn uh station but when i'm on my own and when i'm going to and from work or you know if i'm doing yard work around the house or cooking you know, and i've got earbud in or something like that these are some of the shows that i like to listen to um this first one's actually it's a it's a Sunday morning uh listen. It's to and from church and it's a Bishop Barron sermons. It's fifteen minutes a, oh. you know, a week. Um I and, forgot to mention that one. And uh, I was actually surprised uh somebody else I can't remember who now and I don't have it pulled up, but somebody else uh, on, on Coronation um mentioned Catholic answers uh and that was really cool. I you know, it didn't know there are that many catholics in nebraska um so oh yeah <laughs> it, it, it i see learn something new every day uh but uh bishop robert Barron, of course he's the auxiliary bishop in uh los angeles archdiocese he's an illinois native and uh used to uh teach at a seminary um but a few years ago did a 10-part series called catholicism and it was, you know, on PBS, ran on PBS. You can buy it on Amazon, I think. Uh, but just a terrific history of the Catholic Church, some of the, uh, you know, key events throughout the history. Of the, anyway, it, it's religion, and, and, you know, I tend not to talk religion or politics 
Um, not everybody agrees, and that's fine. Uh, but anyway, that's one that I listen to. Uh, another one that I and that's you know as far as shows go, that's one of the more wholesome ones. That probably the I mean it's it's the truth. So it's the most wholesome one that I listen to. The other ones, not so much, uh, including although they've been better because they don't have a choice. Uh, I do. I am a regular listener of the Big Red Cobcast. Uh, I miss those guys. Um, and uh, it's R.I.P. It, yeah, right. And it's just so funny to listen to their show and hear their uh, their swear words bleeped out. It's it's fun. I I I grin ear to ear every time I hear it. So uh, Tweety and Pat and Joe and Mike and and uh, uh, Bob, we we're, we're thinking about you. We miss you. So anyway, uh, next one that I listen to with regularity is called the ID10T with Chris Hardwick. It's essentially what the Nerdist podcast used to be, but it's under a different name. So all uh, damn 900 or so episodes are still there because he's been doing that like three times a week for I don't know how many week, uh, years. Um, so anyway, ID10T. Uh, Hoss, you'll appreciate this one. One of the episodes I listened to this week was with John Cena. And oh, okay. uh, and he peels back the curtain, you know, on on the business of professional wrestling, probably more than he ever has. So, um, you know, it, it's more respect for the guy. I know, you know, a lot of smart marks out there in the wrestling world kind of poo poo on him, but uh, uh, the dude does have a love for the business, and uh, you know, when he's able to talk freely, it really shows. So that's another one. Um, the one that I the one that I've been really big on the last few weeks is Tom and Jim's top five. Of course, we've mentioned it here before when we did our top five episodes. I've been going back through their archives and listening to it. It's weird, the odd juxtaposition of uh, listening to their Halloween episodes both before and after Easter. Uh, you know, because it's like it's the scary movies and and favorite Halloween candies, and it's uh the, you know the resurrection and you know so anyway it's it's odd I. I, I'm morbid. Uh, so anyway, that's a good one. And, and new one that I'm going to start listening to, but I haven't yet, is called The Deuce Podcast. Uh, and it's all it's a couple of guys, and all they do is talk about movie sequels. Uh, they don't, you know, and, and they, they watch them, they review them, they, they discuss them. Not the original. Like, they wouldn't talk about uh, Star Wars, A New Hope, but they'd talk about Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you know, they won't talk about, and I think it's funny, they didn't talk about, their first episode was Miss Congeniality, uh, the, the sequel, whatever the hell the, the subheading on that one was. So any movie, they just, you know, it, as long as it's a sequel, they, they talk about it. So that, I'm looking forward to diving into that one. The other two, or the other three that I listen to with regularity is Hollywood Babylon with uh, Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman. And it's just a couple of guys that usually do it from the Hollywood Improv uh, live in front of an audience. And they sit there and, uh, uh, you know, they, they make fun of celebrities, which is why I, you know, got into it. Because I think most celebrities need to be brought down a peg or two. Um, but that's, you know, a vulgar crude one. That's got the E for explicit on it. Uh, what happened when with Tony Schiavone, the uh, voice of WCW. And that's also vulgar and crude and comical. Uh, but the one that I go to every week drops every Friday at 11 o'clock. And if I'm driving uh, and making a delivery to a Walmart or something like that, and I can sponge off some Wi-Fi, I download it so I can listen to it that afternoon. Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And he, again, peels back the curtain and gives you, uh, you know, what really happened in, in, you know, some of the big 
events in WWF, WWE history because he was there. He was like Vince McMahon's right-hand man for 22 years, something like that. So uh, those are a handful of the podcasts that I listen to. And, and of course, the Jittery Monkey podcast I mentioned before. So, so that's that. That's that's an awful lot to uh, put onto a onto a post face or a coronation post. That's why I just spill my beans here on on my own podcast. So, that's all I got, buddy. Yeah, that's I. I we've covered all the all the important stuff. Well, we we've covered. A lot of important stuff, and then a lot of nonsense. I think. I think that's really how that statement should go. So, I mean, we could talk more offensive line. If, yeah, I mean, if you're uh, still inclined, I, I, I might, might be here till six in the morning. But I, you know, how, there's a, a a great line from an episode of Futurama, uh, and it's, it's it's like season two or three of Futurama. I love Futurama. I, I watch it every night. It, it's like, it's my calming music. It's my Kenny G that I fall asleep to every night. Uh, cause I don't have to pay attention and I just drift off to, to happy dreams. But, uh, uh, the, the damn ship captain who, his name, I can't, uh, Zap Brannigan. And, and he and a couple of the other guys are, uh, are abducted by the Amazon women. And each Amazon woman is, you know, bigger and bulkier than the next. And they're the, the thing that their lovemaking is called snoo snoo. Don't ask. I don't know. I don't know if you ever watched Futurama. Um, uh-uh. all right. So anyway, it, it's a cartoon, uh, from the creators of Simpsons. So it's kind of, they're, you know, the characters aren't yellow like the Simpsons, but you can definitely see some stylistic similarities. Uh, but anyway, in this particular episode, uh, these these gentlemen are just being ransacked sexually over and over and over, um, you know, to to the whims of the females. And uh, Zach Brandigan, like, you know, essentially says, I, "I need a break." He says, "the uh, the mind is willing, but the body, but the flesh is uh, soft and spongy." Uh, and, and that's about where I'm at right now. As like, I, I I wish I could stay up till six in the morning with you. Uh, sweetheart, and and talk all about the offensive line, but uh, I, I Papa needs a nap, so I I think that's a good place well, to to cut it. Well, you know, you know what? We'll have to have a uh, tele five heart podcast telethon during the <laughs> offensive line. I I thought you were going to say a five heart podcast sleepover, and I got really excited for a minute, and then I realized that's how I know I'm tired. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be a no for me, dog. Yeah, but oh, I tell you, we could watch all the right moves, make popcorn. <laughs> oh, hear, hear me just go oh off God. about how much I hate all the right moves. I'm officially crazy. <laughs> that movie, oh God, just, it's an abomination. <laughs> this might be our last episode. I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> No. Um so anyway, I think I think I think we've said all we need to say and then some um <laughs> this time around. It is twenty after twelve. On the day now, when we started this, we were recording the day before you're gonna hear this episode, and now uh you're gonna hear it in about seven hours. Uh actually by the time that I get get it all typed up and ready to go, I'm just gonna hit that 
publish button. And if you subscribe like you should on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Podbean, uh, you'll have it ready to download when you wake up in the morning. Or perhaps it'll uh, have downloaded overnight and then you can uh, enjoy this episode with your morning coffee, your toast, your bagels, your uh, waffles, pancakes and bacon. French toast. French toast, scrambled eggs. Uh, yeah. Bowl of cereal. I don't give a shit. Um, enjoy the show. Take it with you uh, in the car, uh, on the lawnmower, on the four-wheeler. Going to Costco with the missus, you know? There you And the family, yeah. We we don't bleep yeah. out our, our swear words, but we probably should. If you're taking the family to we, Costco, we, let us know, and we won't swear next week. Well, we keep it to a minimum on the five heart, unless we're discussing how pissed I am after Nebraska versus Minnesota back in November. I actually, I've been doing some self-scouting on previous uh, Five Heart podcast episodes to get better at, you know, talking on podcasts. And I realized that that one was a very emotional, very uh, emotionally charged episode. I I say this with nothing but uh, love and admiration. It wasn't your finest moment. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I bared my soul. Tom and Jim's top five. They have, uh, they have the one F bomb, uh, of a show rule, you know, like a P they keep it PG 13 and, uh, but they call instead of the F bomb, which is what you and I call the F word, uh, or the F dash dash dash, uh, for whatever reason, Tom, who's kind of like the main host because like, like our show, uh, it runs through his audio system, um, and, well, you're the skipper. Well, stop that. Uh, but but instead of calling it an F-bomb, he calls it an Effenheimer. Um, I should mention. I like it. I, I did, too. And, and I included in a tweet to uh, uh, Tom and Jim's top five earlier today. Uh, but I should mention that he does live in Minnesota. But I don't think he's ever, ah. I don't think he's ever expressed any interest in being a uh, a fan of the Golden Gophers. Uh, can't say I, I know he's a Minnesota Vikings fan, and I know he's a Twins fan, um, and none of those offend me. Um, it is what it is. So anyway, uh, we're we're so off topic. We're talking about the intricacies of somebody else's podcast now. Um, let's go home. Let's wrap it up and get the hell out of here. All right. All right. Uh, thank you for bearing with us uh, this episode. It. It, it was all over the place. This episode very much resembled my golf game. I pay my 20 bucks. I get in my golf cart. I see as much of the golf course as I can because I'll hit to the right side. I'll hit to the left side. I very rarely hit it down the fairway, but when I do, we all celebrate because it may not ever happen again that day. Uh, that was this episode. This episode was me golfing, and I apologize. And this was without alcohol, which is not how I golf. Uh, but Haas, he's been a trooper. By golly, he's he's stuck by the whole time. Um, he could have hung up and gone to bed an hour ago, and I wouldn't have blamed him one bit. Uh, but for myself, Greg Mahachko and uh, Haas Reuter, we, we thank you. We appreciate your patience. We'll accept your questions, your comments, your uh, rates and reviews on iTunes. And uh, thank you for downloading the show and sharing it with your friends. And we remind you this week and every week, by golly, five heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. And get some damn sleep. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. 
For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. 